before we sit down and start kinas, we have to uh, first clarify what is it that we're trying to accomplish here in this ritual which we do every single year starting with the question of how do we understand the concept of Avelos and the Chorbon we know that of course uh, sadness is something that's the antithesis of the life of a Jew, the way he's supposed to serve Hashem, it's supposed to always do be done with happiness, with simcha, and yet here we're told to sit on the floor and to cry and to mourn. We find when Moshe Rabbeinu is put into the river as a baby, the Pesach says, when Pari's daughter comes and she finds him, the tiftach she opens up the little uh, basket that he's in. And she sees a little child is crying. She has Rachmanus on him. This is a Jewish child. There was something in his cry that made her realize that this child is a Yid. And the Nesiva Shalom explains that Whenever a Yid cries, it's not the same cry as anybody else, but rather, it's a different type of cry. So, some people cry out of despair, they cry out of mourning, out of, out of Yish, realizing that what was is not coming back. But the cry of a Yid is a different type of cry. It's a cry of hope. It's a cry of yearning. It's a cry of saying, I'm not satisfied where I am right now, but I'm anticipating and yearning for better times. That's what the uh, crying of Tisha B'Av is all about. Internalizing and remembering and realizing that we had better days and we're anticipating those days to come back in an even better fashion. We're not just mourning what was, but we're yearning and hoping for what a mitzvah Shem will be. What was it that we're missing? What was there that we had once that we don't have anymore? So, a beautiful article by Rav Aaron Lapiansky. He brings four points that Klal Yisrael is missing at this, to- at this time. First of all, the central authority at the time of the Beis Hamikdash, we had a Sanhedrin who was the final word on everything. So when Klai Yisrael wasn't sure what to do, how to conduct themselves, whether it was halachic questions or hashkafic questions, the Sanhedrin would make the decision and everybody would follow it. Today we don't have that. We don't have the uh, one central authority who can tell us what we're supposed to do. You know, every every Rav or every group, they'll give you their answer. And, you know, of course, everyone's trying their best. But we're missing the Shekhinah that gives the guidance to the Chachamim to tell them exactly what to do in a way that everybody, all of Klai Yisrael, will follow. In addition, we know that Klai Yisrael, even though us, Baruch Hashem, or Shemr Teirah Mitzvah, observant Jews, who try to do the right thing, but so many 
the majority of Klal Yisrael is still estranged. They're not connected to our source of Yiddishkeit, to Ruchnias, to the Rebbeinu Shalalem. They don't know, and anybody who's out there in the workforce, like everybody is, we've seen, we've come across our brothers, our sisters, who simply have no connection. To them, Tisha B'Av is just another day. And we want them to come back. And when Mashiach comes, Be'ezus Hashem, that's what's going to happen. He's going to be Mechabit Nidche Yisrael. The forgotten ones. Those that don't have the connection, that don't know, they're going to come back through Mashiach to the Kainu. Also, as much as we try our best to observe all the mitzvahs, but there's so many parts of the Torah that we cannot fulfill without the Beis Amikdash. There's three full Siddharim in the Shas that unfortunately today, for the most part, especially for those of us in Chutzlaretz, have no relevancy. The Seder Zrayim, which deal with the mitzvahs at Luis Ba'aretz, Seder Kachim, which deal with the Karbanis, Seder Taharis, which deal with Tum and Tahara, all these things without the Beis Hamikdash, we cannot fulfill in the proper way. And we yearn for the day that we can once again be able to be full Shaymer Torah mitzvahs, complete in every way, that we'll be able to do every single mitzvah. And finally, and most importantly, the Hashras Hashchina, the feeling. That the Rebbeinah Shalaylam is with us. You know, sometimes we wonder, Baruch Hashem, Klal Yisrael has come back to Eretz Yisrael, Yerushalayim, is rebuilt in many ways, and it's continuing to be rebuilt. And yet, we're still crying and mourning. Because, even though Klal Yisrael is in Eretz Yisrael, many of us, many of them, but the feeling that the Rebbeinah Shalaylam is there, with us, showing us his love, is still lacking. We don't feel it. the used to say, Imagine have a father who's estranged from his child. They don't talk. And they could be sitting at the same table right next to each other. But the heart, the heart is a thousand miles away. And when the heart's not there, then nothing's there. And that's the situation that we find ourselves in in the Gullahs. As close as we are, we're still so far away. person tries, you know, we try our best to connect. And so many times we feel, Sagatnish, you know, I don't feel it. It's not going. I don't feel the Rebbeinah Shalelem. I don't feel him. That's what Gullahs is all about. That distance, the distance between us, between our hearts, and the Rebbeinu Shalaylam, and we don't have that connection, then in a certain sense we're missing out on the main point. And that is what we're yearning for. The Be'ezus Hashem, we're going to experience and see that day when Mashiach comes, and with it, we'll all be back in Eretz Yisrael, both physically and spiritually, with the presence of Mashiach, and most importantly, once again, with the Ashura Sashchina in Klal Yisrael. So that is an introduction to what it is that we're doing today. The, the Kinas, as we know, were written uh, throughout the Gullahs. Many of them were written by uh, the famous 
writer, Abelazar HaKalir, not sure, not clear who he is. There are those that say he was a Tana. Some attribute it to the Tana of Lazar ben Shimon, the son of Rabshim Bar Yochai. Others give it to other Ablazars. Uh, there are still others who say that he was one of the Gainim. It's not so clear, but whatever it is, he was certainly the number one uh, poet and writer for the uh, writing of the Kinnis and other piyutim that we say throughout the year. And so with that in mind, let's start with Kina Vav. But rather, there were 24 families. Each one was given a week twice a year. And it was their turn to go to the Beis HaMikdash to be in charge of the Karbanas and to serve Klai Yisrael. And at the same time, while they were there, the Levim also had their own families who would go to Yerushalayim at a separate time to do the Shira and to be in charge of opening and closing the gates. And the Yisraelim, Klai Yisrael, even though they wouldn't necessarily go to Yerushalayim, but were also divided into families who were, so to speak, they, this was their shift. And that was known as the Anche Mishmar, Anche Maimad. Anche Maimad would gather through the week that was their turn in the shuls, in their kahila, and they would daven, and they would learn, and they would fast, that the Kurbanas would be accepted by the Rebbeinu Shalaylam. Because even though the Kehanim were the ones who actually did the, did, did the Karbanis, but they were the emissaries. They were our Shaluchim. Doing what we're, what, uh, serving as our messengers to take care of the Karbanis. And that's something that we have to remember as we sit and we mourn Chazal tell us the second base Hamikdash was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam. Sinas Chinam means that we don't uh, appreciate that you know everybody has their unique uh, role, everybody has their unique mission, and everybody has their unique perspective on life. And we look at things in a way that's, you know, my view, my way is the highway because we only see ourselves. When we read about the different Mishmaris and each one, uh, who they would uh, approach the Avoida in their own unique way, this reminds us that every single person has his own unique mission in life. And no two people are the same, and just like every person has his own unique mission, so too every person has his unique perspective, you know, and the way someone sees things may not be the same way I do, and there's nothing wrong with that. Because he has his way of looking at things. Everybody has their own personal experiences, their own personal challenges, their own personal issues that they face, and their own perspective on life. And when we look at it in such a way, that can help us overcome this tendency to get angry, to be upset, Khalila, to have sin on someone else, because he's coming from his experience, from his perspective, from his way of life, and I'm coming from mine. 
And no two ways are the same. And the more we internalize this, surely the more the Rebbeinah Shalaylam will show us his love and bring us back. Let's say now, Kina Yud. Tavoy samriach, vichoshki tazriach, vichadeshat smaisenu tafriach, vedeach ni choycheno kekedem toriach, umisholchon, umisholchoncho tarich, shulechamo sariach, vayikoinenir mio, vayoshio. The next kina, Yudalev, is based on the kina that Yermio Anovi said on the Melech and the King Yeshio. Yeshio was the grandson of King Menashe, and he was the one who attempted to bring Klai Yisrael back to Tshuva before the Chorban Abayas. As the, uh, the Kina says over here, there was nobody like him since the days of Meishe Rabbeinu because he was the one who destroyed Avodah Zarah from the entire land of Eretz Yisrael. Whether it was the Mizbechis that were used for Avodah Zarah, or whether it was the Bamais that were used up until that point, even the great kings weren't able to destroy the Bamais that were used. And he did. He had the courage to totally attempt to uproot Avodah Zarah from everybody the Navi tells us that the Kohen Gadol at the time, he found a Sefer Habris in the Beis Hamikdash. He found a Sefer Torah in the Beis Hamikdash, and he started reading from it. And the Yeshio Anavi saw the Teichecha in Parshas Kisavoi, and he was shocked and he was horrified. What's going to happen to Klal Yisrael? And that motivated him to act. And to spiritually bring up Klai Yisrael to great levels. And the Navi told him, the Neviah told him rather, Chulda Neviah told him that in the merit of you being such a great person and all of your efforts, so even though the Beis Hamikdash is still going to be destroyed, it won't be in your days. At age 39, Yeshua Melech is told that Parai Nechoi, the king of Egypt, went to battle with Ashur at the north, is traveling through Eretz Yisrael as a shortcut to get to the north. And Yeshio, hoping that the Pasuk of the Cherev Leisavur Ba'artzachem, that no, one, no, no war should be happening in Eretz Yisrael when Klal Yisrael is acting as they're supposed to, he thought that he has to be in charge, making sure that that's not violated. And so he went to battle with Parai to not let him go through. The Navi Yermio, though, had told him that no, even though you yourself are a great tzaddik, but Klaus are not holding on the level that you think they are. Many people, even though openly they were serving the Rebbeinu Shalayla, but in secret and hiding, they were still worshipping Avodah Zarah. As we know, the Yitzhahara at the time was so great. It was difficult to withstand. Nonetheless, Yeshio went to battle with Parai, and the Navi tells us that they hit him with 300 arrows. And as he was dying, 
he was whispering, they bent down to hear him, and he said, Tzadik Hashem, Kipiu Marisi, that's Pesach we say in Eicha. He was Mechabal on himself, the Din, for not listening to the Navi. And that, unfortunately, was the end of an era because the kings that came after him, his children and descendants, were not as great as he was. And unfortunately, Klai Yisrael continued to go down until some years later, there was the Chorban Abayah. So this, so to speak, the death of Yeshua Anavi was the end of an era, the end of the great kings, the great Sadiqim, and in many ways, the beginning of the Chorban. Yemiyah Anavi describes him, his greatness, and he cries over him. And that's what Kina Yudalif is all about. And Tezayin, so the Kina talks about what happened when Titus, the Russia, who destroyed the Beis Hamikdash, the second Beis Hamikdash, came in, and he did horrible things in the Kaidish Hakadoshim. He was wild, wild with uh, drunk, with victory. That finally he was able to defeat the Yidden, as we know. The Great Revolt took over four years to complete the Romans were met with a resistance that they hadn't experienced in any of their battles throughout the entire empire by the heroic Yidden of Yerushalayim and other, other cities who stood up and fought till the last drop of blood for the Beis Amikdash and for Eretz Yisrael. And finally, when as a result of the Gezerah, the Romans were successful in breaching the walls and burning the base and, and, and coming into the Beis Amikdash so they were drunk with victory and they acted in crazy ways as the uh, the python here describes. But another thing that's mentioned here is the famous story of the 400 children who were taken to Rome in three ships. And the children understood, boys and girls, that they're being led not just to be slaves, they're being led to be given over as to be given over as agents of immorality. And once they came to that realization, so they said to each other, We're better off giving up our lives instead of living a life of immorality and a life of going against everything that we were raised in. And so they threw themselves into the water and they drowned. And at this, the Pasuk, the Navi says, Kodesh Baruch Hu promises, Amar Hashem, Ibashan Oshiv, Oshiv Don't worry, children. You won't be forgotten. And you'll be brought back, Lassud Lavoy, from the depths of the sea. And this is also an appropriate time, as we know, Tishabov is a day that we cry not only for the Chorban Abayas, but for all the Chorbanis that Klai Yisrael suffered throughout the generations of Golis. This is also a time to remember the million and a half children of the Holocaust. Pure children, precious children, who wanted nothing more than to live and to grow up, to be good yidden, productive members of society. And they were snatched and killed by the German beasts.
well-known book, To Vanquish a Dragon, Pearl Banish, the Holocaust survivor, writes about Mother's Day in 1944 in the concentration camp of Plashko. Mother's Day, they wake up in the morning, all the mothers, they go to roll call, where the sadist Germans would humiliate them and torture them every single morning. And they're standing there when all of a sudden the gates of the camp open up and a bunch of black trucks come in. They head straight to the barracks and that's when the parents, the mothers understand that they came to get their children who were in the barracks. They try to run back to save their kids and the Germans start beating them up one by one. They take out the children, they throw them onto the trucks, and she describes mercilessly tossing babies into the blacks' vehicles like rag dolls. When the trucks were filled, each truck is filled, they would cover it with a black canvas. And you could hear the children crying, Mommy, Mommy, I can't breathe. Mommy, where are you? And there was nothing the mothers can do. The trucks rolled out one by one, taking these young children to their deaths. And she describes that while all of this was happening, the German beasts were playing on the loudspeaker a mother's lullaby. Come, my little one, come to mommy. Come, you'll sleep in my arms. My arms will embrace you. And today we remember those children and we say to them, you too are not forgotten. And you too, the day will come, you'll also be brought back. Tezayin and Yudzayin. Tekina Chafalev. Famous Kina. Dealing with the Asara Haruge Malchus, the great Tanoim leaders of the generation who were killed by the Romans throughout several periods during and after the Churban Abayas. Uh, Yom Kippur, we say a similar piyot, and over there, there's something added that's not said over here, and that is that the Malachi Asharis, when they saw this great tragedy unfolding of the great sages being killed in terrible ways. They cried out to the Rebbeinu Shalaylam, Zutayr of Azuzchara? What's going on? Here you have people, there could be Shmuel Kringadol, there could be Akiva, and others, the greatest of the great, the leaders of Klal Yisrael for all generations, being killed in such a horrible way. How is it possible? Zutayr of Azuzchara. To which the Rebbeinu Shalaylam answered, If you say one more word, I'm going to return the world, turn the world to Toyu Vavoyu. And the explanation is that we don't understand everything that happens. The Rebbeinu Shalaylam has his plan. Chazal tell us, Hakol Toloi B'mazol. There's a concept called mazel. Now what does mazel mean? 
It's not that there's a concept of randomness, that there's no order. There is an order. But this order is known only to the Rebbeinu Shaloylam. Mazel is a lotion of noizel, of a liquid that's flowing down. You know, you see water uh, dripping down. You don't know where it's going to end up. It's going to create its own path. A certain path. We don't know how it's going to end. But it is going to end in a certain way. Says the Rebbeinu Shaloylam, I have my way of running the world. I have my way that I understand. I have my way that nobody else does. Not even the Malachi Asharis. And this is the Aleph phase of being a Yid. Understanding that we don't understand. And the Rebbeinu Shalaylam has his ways. And when we see things in the world that you know are difficult to comprehend, like we mentioned before, the million and a half children... Or anything else, you know, Tzaras of the individual, Tzaras of Klal Yisrael, so many times, we wonder, how could this be? How could this be? Good people who do the right thing and they suffer so much. We don't understand. And this is what being a Yid is all about. The Rebbeinu Shalom has his Cheshbainas. We have to accept it and realize that he knows what he's doing and everything is for the best, and everything is for a purpose. And when we live life in such a way, then we can go on in spite of everything that we see, because we know we don't have to understand Hashem knows what He's doing. We know that Tisha B'Av is David morning, not only for the Tubat English that were destroyed, but for all the Tzorahs that occurred to Kali Yisrael throughout the generations, some of which happened on Tisha B'Av itself. Chazal tell us that in addition to the Batei Mikdash, Tisha B'Av started really, the first time was in the Midbar, when the Maratim came back. After the Chorban Abayis, some 60 years later, by the great revolt of Bar Kochva. So the great city of Beitar was destroyed on Tisha B'Av. And other tsars happened. The Inquisition... Uh, the expulsion of Spain went into effect on Tisha B'Av of 1492. World War I, as we know, started also Tisha B'Av. An event that we mentioned that this uh, Kina is about was the destruction of the three great communities, Ashpira, Vermaizam, Agensa, Spire, Worms, and Mainz, great communities in Germany, which were destroyed during the First Crusade in the year 1095. The Pope at the time, his name was Urban II, called a, a holy call to the faithful Christians to redeem Jerusalem from the hands of the infidel Muslims. But on their way, so the faithful made sure to wipe out another enemy, which were the Jews. And these were great communities who did everything right and had great scholars, Baliatoisvis and others, Rishonim, and they were all wiped out. And this, according to many historians, was really the beginning of the unfolding of Jewish life in Europe, even though it took uh, another 800 and so years. But kind of gave the opening, you know, we can do it, you know, if we can do it in this way, we can do it in even more cruel ways as well.
And this reminds us, you know, we can feel comfortable in Golas, but up until a point, because no matter how nice things are and how built up we are and how everything is seems to be going well, Golas is Golas. Golas is Golas. And as a side note, it's interesting to point out that the first state that signed diplomatic relations with the Nazi regime in 1933 was the Vatican. This is a battle that dates back to ancient times and one that's going to go to all generations. The difference between the MS and the Sheker, the religion that calls themselves the religion of love, turns out that when it comes to Yidin, at least, there's not so much love. Kina Chafei. To Lamed Aleph and Lamed Beis, talking about the difference, the contrast between Klal Yisrael leaving Mitzrayim with a great Geula, and then years later, Klal Yisrael leaving Yerushalayim with a great Chorban. The contrast of Klal Yisrael at times being at the top of the world and at times being all the way down below. Rav Huttner points out that the Am Oineg is the same Am Saride Chorev. Klal Yisrael has both. You know, we have good times, we have bad times. And really, they're two sides of the same coin. Chavetz Chaim says a marshal, there was a king who had many servants, he had one son, the prince. And one day they go to town, the prince with the servants, one evening, and they hang out in the local bar and they get intoxicated, they get drunk, and they start acting like drunk people do cursing and screaming and laughing. And people recognize the prince. And they uh, get word to the king that his son is acting out. Okay, so the night goes on. Finally, it's 3 a.m. The bartender says, okay, boys, we're closing. Go back home. They head back to the palace. And standing there on the steps with his arms folded, is the king himself. Of course, they're no longer drunk. And the king says to the servants, go back to your quarters, go to sleep. And then he turns to the prince and he starts screaming. You lousy, good for nothing. How dare you act in such a way. Embarrassing yourself, embarrassing your family, embarrassing me. You're grounded. You have to remain in the palace for a full month, not going out at all. And the prince turns to his father and he says, uh, Dad, I understand why I'm being punished. But what about the servants? They were in it with me. They did the same thing. And then you just let off the hook. Says the king, they're servants. They're different. 
They have a job. Their job is to take care of things in the palace. And as long as they do that, what they do with their spare time is their business, not mine. But you, you're the prince. You're my pride and joy. You're the one who's going to carry my legacy one day. And when you act out, it reflects bad on me. And so your punishment is a real punishment because you I care about in ways that I don't care about the others. Says the Chavitz Chaim, the Rebbeinah Shalom has many nations in the world. But there's only one nation that it's his prince, B'ni B'chayri Yisrael, Klai Yisrael. We're his nation and we're the ones that he looks to as his pride and joy, so to speak, the ones who carry out or are tasked with carrying out the mission of the Rebbeinah Shalom, of being Marek Vayishamayim, of bringing the world to its tikkun. And it's through us that the Rebbeinah Shalom feels that he's reflected in the world. And so, Mimela, if Claudius doesn't act in the way that we're supposed to, it reflects bad on him. And as a consequence, the punishment is so much more severe than any other nation. But when we look at it in such a way, that also shows us a silver lining of the Nechama. That even in the Gullus and even in the punishment, as bad as things are, that in of itself is the sign of the Rebbeinah Shalom that I care about you. And that's why you're suffering the consequences. And that's what the Python is highlighting over here. The contrast. But this also should serve to us as a reminder that just like we see and we've seen the depths that Klai could fall to in the Gullahs, so too we are going to see once again, Mitzvah very soon, the great redemption where we're going to be reunited once again as the crown prince of the Rebbeinu Shalalam. Rida Levi wrote the uh, book, the Kuzari, and in which uh, he describes how the, uh, the king, the Kuzar king, asks the Chacham, you know, you folks, you Jews, you daven three times a day to return to Tzion. Why is it that you're living here in Spain? So this Rebuda Alevi wrote as a marshal. And then he took his own words to heart. You know, this is a legitimate question. It's time for me to head to Yerushalayim. He had written many poems of yearning for Yerushalayim, for Eretz Yisrael. Famous poem, Libi B'Mizrach, Ani B'Saif Marav, My heart is in the east. Finally, he decides he's going to go himself to Yerushalayim. And as the legend has it, as he made his way to the gates of Yerushalayim, so he fell on the ground and an Arab horse rider trampled him to death. Now, whether the story is true or not, I don't know, but we know for sure that he symbolized what yearning for Yerushalayim means, yearning to go back to Eretz Yisrael. There's a parish on the Yerushalmi that was published in the 1960s, 1970s, which was written by a great guy. His name was Rabbi Yehuda Klariskov. He was the rabbi of the city of Poldova in, in Russia. And eventually he was exiled to uh, Moscow where he lived out his years. And being that it was at the height of the communist regime, 
So this great going wasn't able to be uh, fully revealed for who he was. He worked as a librarian and he would take time to write his Sfarim, Sefer on the Rambam and a Sefer on the Yerushalmi in hiding, in hiding so no one could know. Well-known Rav used to travel to Russia by Harry Bronstein and he was told the guy of Poldova is lying on his deathbed in the hospital please go to him he has a very important message for him and Rabbi Bronstein makes his way to the hospital and he sees the guy lying in his bed and he says to him underneath my pillow is uh, the next volume the transcript of the next volume of my parish on the Rambam please take it out in a way that People can't notice, the nurses won't be able to see. Of course, there were other people in the room. And uh, Rabbi Bronstein is able to take it out, to smuggle it out, and he says, promise me that you're going to publish it. And then he says to him, you go to my house, hidden there is my parish on the Yerushalmi. A parish which are written over many years, which goes through big parts of the entire Talmud Yerushalmi. Please, I beg of you to publish that as well when you make your way back to America. And Rabbi Bronstein can't hold back his curiosity and he says, Rabbi, you're such a goyen, why is it that you're writing a parish on the Yerushalmi, which is a Talmud that's not studied as much, why not write it on the Bavli? And he said, I'm here in Russia and I can't get out. This is my way of showing my yearning. My yearning for Yerushalayim. My yearning for Eretz Yisrael. This is how Klai Yisrael, throughout the generations, looked and yearned to go back home. The next day, the Poltovarov died. Well, they buried him in a small funeral in Moscow. But Rabbi Bronstein was able to secure the manuscripts and he did bring them to America and he did publish the Svarim. Chaim Kanievsky was involved with uh, helping out with the transcripts, the manuscripts for the Yerushalmi. A wonderful parish that's available today. But what we see here really is what it means to yearn for Yerushalayim. And today too, even though of course, you know, we can... How much easier to go to Yerushalayim, all you got to do is hop on an airplane. But we all still yearn to go back, not just as visitors, but to go back to Yerushalayim and to experience what living in Yerushalayim always means. Mitzvah they will come when we'll all be able to do it. The French king gives the command that the Jewish Talmud should be burnt. This was after there was an apostle, a mumar, converted to Christianity, and he was able to cut, to persuade the king that the Talmud writes against Christianity, against their savior. And this was after there was a debate between him and Rabbi Chil of Paris, one of the Rishayim Balei Teisvis. Even though the debate was won by the Rav, nonetheless. He was able to, the Mumu was able to persuade the king to go about. And this, of course, 
was a terrible churban because at the time everything was handwritten and therefore taking away the Talmud, whatever was available was really a churban because that means that they weren't able to learn anymore. They were able to fill 24 cartloads, 24 wag uh, wagonfuls of Sfarim and they were burnt in public in Paris. And historically, if we look at this, so this is not just a random event, a one-time occurrence, but really, we have to realize that up until that point, the Goyim really were not aware of Bechlal, of the Talmud. They weren't aware of the Teresh Peh. They knew it was the Old Testament, but that was it. And this started really a 700-year uh, fascination on their behalf with the Talmud. Famous Holocaust survivor Yossel Friedensen tells over Nazis invaded Warsaw. They stormed into his house one day, shortly after the invasion. Looking for jewelry and valuables, after going through the house, rummaging and, and uh, taking what they wanted, they're about to leave. When one of the soldiers sees the beautiful leather-bound Shasfarim, and he turns to Mr. Friedensen, who was a teenager at the time, and he says, What is this? And innocently he says, This is our Talmud. Describes Mr. Friedensen what happened next. The Nazi's face contorted with rage. He ripped out the volumes and he stomped on them with his heavy boots, trying to destroy them. And as he's trying and it's not working because these volumes were leather bound and they're very strong, he's getting angrier and angrier, he's stomping, he's jumping. Finally, he takes it out and he rips them out page by page. Not being satisfied until he threw every single volume out the window. Our enemies looked at the Talmud, at the Gemara, as the source of our strength, as the source of Jewish influence. And that's why they hated it so much. And they were right. The Gemara, the Teresh Peh, is what has carried Klal Yisrael throughout the Gullus. But one thing they didn't realize is that they can burn it and they can destroy it. But the Torah is going to continue. And we're guaranteed by the Rebbeinu Shalolam. It's not going to be forgotten. And the Talmud is going to carry us all the way to the coming of Mashiach. We mentioned this story once. 1941 or 42, tells the Rosh of Eliyahu Bloch walked into his farm store on the Lower East Side and he asked the proprietor if he has a volume of Ketzeis a classic pulpal safer that every Yeshiva Bochon knows. Man goes up on his ladder, he takes out a volume, an old volume, from the top shelf. 
comes down and he says to Rabbi Bloch, Rabbi, take good care of this Sefer, because this is the last Ktsois that's ever going to be sold in America. Now, this was not so long ago, talking uh, 80 years ago. People didn't see it. They didn't realize it. Realistically speaking, they were right. There was no future. But they forgot the tenacity of Klal Yisrael and the courage of our Rabbanim, of our Rosh Yeshiva, who knew, who knew about this promise, this guarantee. The terror is going to endure, and we just have to do our part. Today, Baruch Hashem, many thousands of Ketzais being sold every single year here in America and across the world. And this will continue to be the case, Ezra Hashem, till the coming of Mashiach. I just wanted to say one thing. Yes. Know the name of the king, the French king. Yes. It's at this um, point, at the end of the, uh, the regular kinas, towards the end, that the uh, leaders of Klal Yisrael instituted to add a kina or two on the recent korban of Klal Yisrael. As we mentioned, Kishabab is the day of mourning not only of the Tubatei Bigdash that we lost, but of all the tragedies of Kali Yisrael that happened throughout the long and bitter Golis. Culminating in the greatest tragedy of all time that ever happened in the history of the world, the Holocaust. Now the Holocaust is a mystery, remains a mystery till this very day, 77 years later. How is it? The most cultured nation on earth, the ones who gave us music, classical music, who gave us art, who gave us mannerisms. How were they able to turn into wild beasts and commit atrocities that a human imagination cannot even fathom. This is not something that is understood. And yet, we know we know that there is one nation that through the millennia have been the eternal enemy of Klal Yisrael, Amalek. Pasuk tells us, Ki yod al keis ka melchama la Hashem ba'amalek. Shalom says, My seat cannot be complete, and my name cannot be complete, at sheyemochesh moishal amalek. There's a kalipa, a force of evil that exists in the world. And that force of evil is so powerful, I think the Rebbeinah Shalom himself 
so to speak, cannot find rest as long as it's there. Famous historian Lucy Davidowitz in her, in her book, a classic book, The War Against the Jews, draws a line, a, histor a historical line, from the First Crusade, which we mentioned before, all the way to the Holocaust. And she says there's a pattern here. A pattern of a nation that there's something to it that is very unusual and very strange. A nation that seemingly on the outside, like we said, is the symbol of culture and everything good, but on the inside, on the inside, it's rotten to the core. That's the German nation. And if we look in Chazal, we find reference to it. The Gemara Megillah says, the Pasuk in Tehillim, Al-Titain Hashem Ma'avayi Rasha. David HaMalach says, Rebbeinu do not let the Rasha carry out his evil. His evil will. Zemomay Al-Tofek, don't take off his muzzle. Say Chazal. Ma'avayi Rasha. Who's this Rasha that we're talking about? Zekarmam Yashel Edoim. Vilna Goyen. Vilna Goyen lived 250 years ago. Is Magia Germania Shaledoin Germany Ilmole Yoitse Machrivis Oilom? If Germany's given the power, he goes out and he destroys the world. 1898, the Kaiser Wilhelm II of Germany comes to visit the Holy Land, and at the, at the gates of Yerushalayim, he's greeted by the entire city, their entire community. Rabbanim and the leaders and the entire community who come to make the blessing that we make, traditional blessing that we make on a king. There's one leader though who doesn't come out. The future of Yerushalayim, Abiyasef Chaim Zonenfeld. And when asked why, he says, I have a Kabbalah from my Rebbe, the Ksav Seifer, that Germany is Amalek. And in Amalek, you don't make a bracha of Shecholak Mikvaidai. And 35 years later, everybody understood what he was referring to. That this nation showed its true colors how the eternal enemy of Klal Yisrael. If you look at the protocols of the infamous Von Zee conference, the conference in which the Nazi leaders sat down and made the final plans for the destruction of Jews. They came up with the precise numbers of the Jews in every country in Europe and every country in the world. And they had it down, literally down to the individual. How many Jews are in each country? Sometimes they were not even, uh, they didn't even round it off. This country has 2,422 Jews. This country has 5,600 Jews. And on and on. Every single country. Amalek! cannot tolerate Klal Yisrael. And that's what they tried to do. And this, with this we can give a, a, maybe a little understanding of what this is all about. 
Why is it? Why is it that you have to seek out? Seek out every single Jew in hiding. Every single Jew wherever he was. And destroy him and kill him in ways that the human mind cannot fathom. Because this is Amalek. And Amalek cannot tolerate us. Because we symbolize all that's good. And they symbolize all that's bad. And the bad and the good cannot coexist. And so so this day, the day of the eternal morning, is the day that we remember the six million Kedoshim who went to their deaths as proud Jews. Many of who were reminded who they were by the Nazis. They didn't know. But the Germans reminded them that you're better than us. And that's why we hate you. And they went with Shmaya's soul on their lips as they entered the gas chambers and as they were shot down, as they were burned to death. They told everybody, Shalala, we didn't forget you until the very end. And we say to them today, we haven't forgotten you either. And we'll never forget you. The great, sacri- the great sacrifices that you made will live on forever and ever. And the day will come. They will come. We're going to see with our own eyes. Amalek is going to get his eternal punishment. Wiped off the face of the earth, just like the Rebbeinah Shalom promises us. Will not be forgotten. We will never forgive. We will never forget. We'll say the two. Kines. One is written by the Baba Rebbe, And one was written by Rav Schwab.